Nobu Masuhisa is a name with which you're hopefully familiar. The story of this remarkable chef and tireless culinary innovator is one we at Monocle have told on the pages of our magazine and books and on the menu right here on Monocle 24. Today on The Entrepreneurs, we hear from Chef Nobu, but we're fortunate enough to be bringing some other voices around the table too. Nobu-san's two co-founders in the eponymous restaurant and hotel business, Robert De Niro and Mayor Tepper, and the group's CEO, Trevor Horwell, are all here this week. They'll tell us about the amazing things that can happen and the compelling journeys that can be embarked upon when a group of like-minded individuals form an amazing coalition of family, as they themselves call it, in pursuit of the creation of something exceptional, something that can redefine standards and guests' expectations in hospitality. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs on Monocle 24 with me, Tom Edwards. So, Monocle has made the short journey just around the corner from our London HQ in Marlebone to Nobu Hotel London Portman Square to sit down and break bread, well, to enjoy an impeccable cup of coffee at least, with Messrs Nobu, De Niro, Tepper and Horwell. Altogether, in person, for the first time in quite a while post-pandemic, the gentlemen have gathered for something of a belated celebration of the opening of this 250-key London property, now part of a global operation that boasts 50 restaurants and 27 hotels operating and in development across five continents. We'll hear more about those plans, I'm sure. It's a pleasure to welcome the Nobu Hotels team to the programme. I just wanted to get a bit of a sense from you about warm welcomes. I remember when we spoke to you before Nobusanyu, you yeah. talked about this, Irash, I must say, this concept of welcome. Yeah. And I wanted to just get a sense from all of you about what does it mean to get a great welcome? Well, the people come into the restaurants, you know, I like to say something, I don't want to be quiet. Irashima say means like a welcome, right? But the one customer asked me to, no, what means that the word uh, uh, Irashima says? I say joke. <laughs> Spend the money. So, <laughs> you know, now people understand also immediately so they go into the restaurant. So, if you make the comfortable. So, that's why I like to make in the first step, customer into the restaurant. I like to make them feel comfortable. That's why we start saying, and is that the same for all of you? What matters most when you arrive somewhere? Yeah, I think for me, even though some people don't understand what it means, because I mean, it creates some kind of an energy. I think the whole idea of going to Novo is have great food and also have fun. So it's a combination that we're trying to create and that's why people like it. It's, you know, people can even move from one table to another. So when they come in and they hear the welcome, it gets him to the moon that you don't have to be very quiet here. It's not like a... Not like a library. Place, yeah. <laughs> and about that amazing energy, Bob, was that something that if we go right back to like 1987, La Cienega, when you first, I think, experienced the food, did you sense there was a different energy, something special all the way back then before this journey kind of really took off? The place, as soon as I started having the food and the whole experience was the same generally then as today. But what made you guys think, this needs a bigger audience, we need to go to New York, we need to go to the world? Was that, did you have that sense that early? No, I just, I mean, I just knew it was going to be, it would work tremendously in, in New York. I had no doubt about that. Traditionally in New York, you go to Japanese restaurants and they're nice and so on. And like here in London, in my experience, they're nice, they're terrific, blah, 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 but it's not what Nobu does. I said, this, is, this will work, this is great. I hate to use this word, but it's 
it's sexy. It's uh, people have used it before, but it was, it was great. The great ideas always seem very simple. What about being the kind of steward of the brand and on a more day-to-day, Trevor, let me bring you in here. Are you very aware of that, that kind of energy, these values? They kind of seem to flow through all the premises. When you walk into Nobu Hotel on Portman Square, you can still feel it, even though it's one of the newer hotels. How aware are you of being the steward of those values? Yeah, I think, well, really, Nobu is about the people, people in the company and... um, I've been going to Nobu for way before I joined Nobu. And, and the one thing there was that they, the people were the same everywhere I went. So there wasn't a high turnover of the people. So I knew when I was going there, I could call this person. And when I got into the restaurant, I felt at home. So it was that. And I think today the biggest challenge is trying to retain good people. But we do that. And people want to join Nobu. And, and I think that is is the key to Really, everything we're doing is we've got a consistency and the people, they have a professional pride in what they do. And that's really sets us apart from everybody else. And do you think that people are entrepreneurial? Do you need to have an entrepreneurial spark to make a success, whether it's in food or in hospitality and movies, whatever you're doing? Do you need to be entrepreneurial in terms of having that, that spark, that hunger to be successful, to try new things, to take risks? You have to have some of that as well. But... For me, as a businessman and as an investor to start with, I'm having fun at the same time that I'm working hard to make the business successful, but I'm also enjoying it. So when I get up in the morning, I get a lot of energy because I'm enjoying doing it. It's not difficult. It's it's not like hard work. So I think what we created is going back to the energy that you have in the restaurant It's a combination of everything. It starts, of course, with the food. But then when we opened New York, we were the first restaurant, I think maybe in the world, that had fine dining with no tablecloth. In the beginning, people said, how can you do that? You need to have a tablecloth here. And Nobu and the team decided, no, I think it'll be nice. And also sharing the food. So that also creates an energy. So it creates the great fun that when you go out to an, an experience dinner at Nobu or lunch. Or indeed stay at the hotels. And what about this energy between all of you? You seem to have fun. Nobu San, how, how do you guys all, all work together? I'm really intrigued by how the relationship has grown, changed over the years. What, 30 odd years now? Well, so first time I met Bob, you know, in, almost end of the 1980, and very famous director, Roland Jeffy, right? Roland, yeah. 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 And he introduced to me Bob. But first time I met him, I don't know what he do. But kind of the, I met the Bob, kind of the destiny. Now I can tell. But the beginning doesn't think about any destiny. But after 30, you know, almost 30 years, so still the business is keep growing so because good partners and also Mayor, the Bob, and me, and another partners, we have very great, strong teams. So... Bob and the mayor supported me, and then I followed to the mayor and the Bob. Everything's like a team, but also kind of the family. Maybe strange family, but, uh, you know, <laughs> we are... We are All families are <laughs> the same. <laughs> we are the great teams. That's why that still the business keep growing. Right now, I appreciate for the these peoples, and because I am a chef, I don't know business. But after, you know, open Pasta Nobu, so business is keep growing. And also build strong another teams, corporate teams. 
So each restaurant has like uh, somebody, noble graduate chefs or managed people's manager go there, then training the next generation teams. You know, it's a noble team. It's very organized now. The start like a family business, still the family business philosophy. But that's why people's very warm and friendly each other's, support each other's. And even me, the barber supported me, mayor supported me. You know, this is a great team. And um, I met these people's kind of a destiny. Bob, do you think Nobusan has changed much in those 30 years? He may, I mean, you, you both look exactly the same as you did then, but yeah, anything, else, anything else different? No, it's a, well, people change, of course, but we all change together moving forward and are very grateful for what's happened with Nobu. I mean, we've just been very fortunate and lucky. And it's, and it's because of Nobu, it's because of him especially, he is the one, but all of us in support of him. It's that simple. It's definitely, it's the jolliest dysfunctional family yeah, I that, that I've ever heard. Trevor, did you feel that when you joined, that you were joining a, a family? This family metaphor seems to work so well. There's the extended family that look after the, the different sides. Did you feel, I don't know, like an interloper? Were you made to feel welcome straight? <laughs> what was that like? I met everyone 25, 26 years ago, and we did the Metropolitan Hotel in London. So that was a start. But I think, like what Mayor says, you, you need to love what you do. And it's about working with similar mind-like people. And when we talked about doing Nobu Hotels and so forth, we had many meetings and it was, it just clicked. And I think the, the one thing about Nobu is really the culture of the company. And you can't keep good people unless you have the right culture. And, and to me, that's what sets us apart from everything else. So like Nobu just said, you know, to me, life's about your next move. You can be at the top or you can be at the bottom, but you can soon go down to the bottom if you, you make the wrong move. And I think we, we've been very fortunate in the last 25 years to have consistency and, and we've followed our heart and we've worked with good partners. And, and that's why we're here today with 30 hotels coming up and 50 restaurants. It's very modest of you all to say it's just good fortune. I think you're pretty good at what you do as well. Let me just ask you a bit. One of the really important other values, I think, of the brand is about discovery, sharing, getting out into the world. And that's obviously been much more difficult over the last couple of years. What kind of a challenge has that presented? Not being able to travel. It's obviously hampered openings. Even the brilliant hotel we're sitting in has had a few yeah. issues. Has that been a challenge, man? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't easy, and especially in the beginning, because in the beginning, personally, I was scared of getting sick because people were just dying everywhere. And I was worried about that. There were no vaccines. There were no pills. There was no medicine to cure. So I had to stay in one place. But we, we kept working, especially on Zoom. We had board meetings on Zoom. We, we built restaurants on Zoom. I mean, this restaurant, in the beginning, we had a few meetings with the owners and, and the architect before COVID. And then during COVID, we finished it on Zoom. It was okay. It wasn't, wasn't so bad at the end when things got a little bit better. And this is actually the first trip to Europe that I'm doing in the last three years. And I used to go to Europe six, seven, eight times a year. So good to be back with your old friends. And do you think it's underscored, Nobusan, in terms of the values that you talked about earlier, the fact that people couldn't sate those curiosities, they couldn't get out into the world, it made you realize how important what you do is, perhaps? I like always positive thinking. So this pandemic, we learned something from this province, you know, because Almost three years. So even 
like finally, so after 13 months, so we can do the opening ceremony in Sudden of Portman Square. But after I started the problem, we so much worry about all the people's walking, the restaurant, the features. But right now, maybe may I say, business better than before the pandemic right now for us. Because, you know, my, my job is like, a, I never count money. Always I looking for quality food, quality service how much people make happy. I like to stay uh, on my side. Always I think about another side. So this concept, I like people to make happy. So noble philosophy that basically makes happy the people means success. So in pandemic times, we have a lot of patience, so much headache because we have our job, this one, you know, we did it. So almost open all over the world now, start getting start. So that's why we start the traveling. I'd like to see now all of my families around the world. Let's look a little bit to the future. Bob, you've got your chamomile here. What's in the tea leaves? Look to the future. Mm-hmm. What well, kind of ambitions, dreams maybe for, for Nobu? We're moving along cautiously, carefully and prudently, if you will. That's it. I mean, what I think about things in general, you can have a plan basically where you're going, but you just can't foresee the outcome. You can't do it. You might like to do this and that, but the end of the day, as long as you keep at it, do what's right, we'll see where we are. But so far, it's very good, and it should always be as knock on wood positive. Do you think, though, that you, in a sense, also, you kind of learn more when things don't work out and don't go to plan? You have to adapt. Has that been true through all your life and career, do you think? Of course. And then I, but you just can't foresee where you're going to, where you can kind of see you're going to be somewhere there, but you don't know exactly. As long as it's in that direction, it's all good. Keep moving forward. Yes. Like a shark. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, Trevor, what, what about the kind of business plan? Because it must be very difficult to quantify these intangibles, making sure that it's fun, great direction of travel. How do you make sense of the, I don't know, medium term time horizon? Yeah, I, I mean, I think now, you know, our big focus is doing hotels with restaurants. And we only started eight years ago doing that. And now it's grown significantly, but we never thought it would grow as fast. But we're fortunate because I think today it's about the partners that you work with and the partners we're working with are solid. We went through a choppy time, naturally, through pandemic, but our partners are still there. We still go to all our hotels and we we actually doubled our inventory of hotels since February last year. So when you think about that, you know, people want to do more Nobu hotels. So before we were looking to meet with different partners, now we have investors coming to us. So for us, it's, you know, if we do three, four a year, great. Pretty exciting and, times. Uh, so we haven't said we want to do 100 or whatever, but we'll see what happens. Never know. Nobu San, I mentioned that we did this My Last Meal interview with you before on Monocle, and you painted a lovely scene with your family gathered together. Mm. For you, gentlemen, with the Nobu brands, if you were to all gather, I don't know, at one of the locations, maybe to eat one dish, whether it's here at London Portman Square or somewhere else, where might that be? <laughs> now, would you go back to, is it like choosing, you can't choose your favourite kids, right? <laughs> what, how, what would you pick? For me, I have to say, if I had to choose where to spend, uh, let's say, uh, a dinner, the Last Supper, <laughs> I would choose Malibu because I live very close to the restaurant. It's one of our most beautiful restaurants, and so I would choose Malibu. I mean, the food is somehow, thanks to Nobu, creating dishes that are special, 
that are great, and lots of chefs are copying what Nobu started, which is okay. It's better to be number one when people copy you than being somebody that copies the number one. So the food that he created is consistent in every restaurant. People always comment, so how can you create a menu, create food that if I go to Istanbul or New York or London or Malibu, the food is the same and, and the same quality. So our customers, which are a lot of international travelers, and they they know when they go to a city, when there's a Nobu there, and they know what they're going to get. So the, the food would be in Malibu or London the same, but I think because of what Malibu has to offer, a place on the beach, I would probably have my dinner there. Nobu Matsuhisa, Robert De Niro, Mayor Tepe and Trevor Hallwell, the co-founders and the CEO of Nobu Group. You can learn more about the amazing portfolio and the story of the brand. Head to nobuhotels.com and find out more. Next up, we're going to talk a bit more about exactly what contributes to building the type of brand and brand values that I think our first guest around the corner from here at Nobu Hotel London, Portman Square, have just been discussing so elegantly. What is the power of brand? How do you make sense of a sometimes vexing question? What do you need to do as an entrepreneur, as the steward of a business, old or new, or as an outsider looking to change up the values a company stands for in the eyes of its public? Well, I invited Bob Sheard, co-founder of brand design agency Fresh Britain, in for a chat about exactly this. I began the conversation, of which we're going to enjoy the first part today, by asking Bob, well, first up, what is it that Fresh Britain actually does? Here's Bob. What we do is we design brands. So we've innovated a way of designing brands that works at the intersection of all the things that brands touch. So communication design, graphic design, storytelling, product design, culture design, narrative design. So all those areas that interface with a brand into product and then into commerce, we operate at that intersection. And then we've done over, I think it's probably 225 brands in 20 years. Okay, that's quite a lot. Um, I was good because I was going to say to you, do you do, would you call it transformational brand design? Is that the kind of power of what, you know, the resources you and your colleagues have at your disposal? It is transformative, transformational? Do you, presumably... You do well, yeah, the, it's quite funny. So we, we have a protocol that we use, which is the say-do protocol, and we tell this to brands. So if I turn up to a dinner party on a Friday night and I walk in the room and I say, hi, I'm Bob, I'm a cool guy, the room thinks I'm a bit of a cock. You don't do that. You walk in and you listen and you try and formulate a really intelligent opinion and then you might come in during the main course and say something intelligent and then you've worked for a little bit of enigma and mystery and that might make people think you're more cool than you telling them. So therefore, it's not for me to say whether we're transformational or not, but we have had transformational results for brands. When we started with Dr. Martins, they were at 90 million turnover in a double-digit decline. We sat there with the team and we said to them, the reason why Dr. Martins is famous is not because of anyone in this room or anyone that's ever worked at Dr. Martins. The reason why this brand is famous is because of what people have done when they've worn the shoes. So actually, we're sat in the room to discuss brand, and my job there was to tell them to abdicate their brand because 
the shoe, the 1460, it's actually a joke. It was born on the 1st of April 1960. That's when it was designed. So it's literally an April Fool. But it has, you know, the, the famous black boot has no inherent meaning until someone wears it. So if you, it just looks like a heavy boot. But if you're a, a skinhead, it represents fascism. If you're a sort of CND protester, it represents the left wing. If you're a G20 protester, it represents disorder. But if you're a copper on the other side of the line, it represents order. So it had no inherent meaning. And what we said is that brand's all about rebellious self-expression. And so celebrate, own the fact that you just make the shoes and it's the world that does the rest. They had last year a 3.5 billion flotation. So I can't take the credit for transforming a double-digit decline into a flotation, but we can take the credit for pointing them in the right direction. It's interesting. If you sit down in a room with the boss of a company and tell them to abdicate the responsibility <laughs> for their brand, is that conversation presumably a lot easier when it's brand 220 than it was when it was brand 1, 2 or 3? It follows, correct? Yeah, because at brand 2 or 3, you're a 30-year-old with not much track record. You know, having done 220, you can spot the blind spots, but you can also see see some of the opportunities as well. And I think one of the lessons for brands is sacrifice. If a brand gets stuck and it's in this kind of relentless decline, then literally something has to relent. And so you have to look at what you can sacrifice in order to create the space to create the change that you need to do. And I think that's really important. And, and I think as I'm getting older and have done the 220 brands, I'm very, very, very conscious of the fact that I'm morphing from Luke Skywalker into Obi-Wan Kenobi, <laughs> and now the bestower of wisdom rather than kind of the young kid on the block. Obi-Wan in DMs, maybe. Uh, let's talk a bit. I wanted to sort of get you to just sort of ruminate a bit, Bob, on the power of brand, on this sort of quest for value. And you've already spoken quite elegantly about both of those things. But maybe it's instructive a little bit to sort of signpost that journey that you've been on personally in your entrepreneurial career with some examples. And I, I know you've been considering a few of these kind of moments, maybe some we've already mentioned to a degree, that have been those, you know, light bulb moments, these indicators of directional travel and maybe talk us through some of them. Is it foolish if you're setting out maybe on an entrepreneurial path to expect to have moments of inspiration like that, flashes of sudden, you know, illumination? Because presumably that doesn't happen. And more often than not, I would imagine real progress is the result of just hard graft. Or sometimes are there those instant kind of moments almost? Yeah, if I can take you on a journey from a 14-year-old boy in a industrial northern comprehensive school suffering at the hands of bigger boys who were bullying and stuff who went to the Affleck Palace in Manchester which was frequented by the farm and people like that and I bought a pair of Lendl courts and I dare say they were the first Lendl courts ever to cross the border into Yorkshire and so when I turned up <laughs> at school the next day literally the magical power no one bullied me they just wanted to know where my shoes were from and so that's a kind of eureka moment in terms of the power of brand. It's intangible, but it had a tangible effect on my life. Fast forward now to the other part of your question, which is about value. There are three parts of a brand that can deliver value. The first is its positioning. If you get compelling positioning around a brand, then consumers will come to it. The narrower your positioning, actually, the broader the appeal, more consumers will come to it. If you get an addictive personality to add to that positioning, then those consumers will have a serial and episodic relationship with the product. They'll buy more over more time and they'll buy from court and encore. And then if you can have an emotionalized purpose 
then you can drive value. You can literally change the multiple by which brands are valued. We did that with Volvo Defence, took them from a multiple of six to a multiple of 10. That had an enterprise value increase of 200 million. So if you understand the levers that exist within position, personality, and purpose, then you can drive value. So within positioning, you, it's about understanding where your brand world is, not your brand, what's the world you occupy. So Rafa, for example, Rafa is a, or was a road cycling company, but that wasn't its brand. Its brand was all about pain and the glory of suffering. You have to understand where your authority comes from. You have to articulate the reason why people would believe in you. You have to understand the things you do. You can't win at everything, so you have to do things as good as everybody else in brand terms and product terms, and then figure out what you're going to do differently because great brands pivot off their differences. When we did Arcturix, we said no one's going to come to you because you're a bit like the North Face. They're going to come to you because you're different, so let's make you different. So that's how you get the positioning right. Then in terms of personality, what you start with then is what's the emotion we're trying to design with the brand. So if we're trying to design inspiration, then that means we should probably be building a personality around the rebel. If we're trying to design trust, we should build a personality around craftsmen. Once you've figured out the emotion you're trying to create, then it takes you to the role, which then takes you to three brilliant things, which is that you don't own all of a consumer's life. So if you're a, you know, a warm beer brand, there's no point trying to own Thursday night out. That's vodka territory. But you do own a part. So what's the time you own in the life of the consumer? What's the place you own? What are the rituals you own? And then what are the things that we can do to shape addiction to want, which is the emotional values, and then shape addiction to need, which is the rational values. And then the final thing, which is the magic, is how do we build a brand with charisma? And so when we challenge our clients, we say, like, like we need to build charisma into this brand because it's a charisma-free zone. <laughs> they must love that. <laughs> well, we say to them, like, you know, kind of, I'll go around the table and ask everyone's favourite film character and they'll all go around the table and I guarantee you know, in 200 brands no one's ever said Mary Poppins and the reason no one's ever said Mary Poppins is because she's got no edge she's got no dark side she doesn't stand up or stand out for anything overtly versus the other candidates which would be any Jack Nicholson character or whatever <laughs> so building catharsis into a brand is about asking two very simple questions what do you stand for and what do you stand against and so we know Nike, for example, it stands for victory. You know, it stands against complacency. It stands for the individual. So you can build charisma into a brand that way, and that's the personality. And then the purpose is all about emotionalizing the mission and emotionalizing the purpose. So emotionalizing what people do every day and then emotionalizing why they do it. All that brought together is how you drive value. One thing I want to ask, and actually this speaks to it, because I'm fascinated by the reactions that you would have when you're having those kinds of conversations, some of which must be quite challenging, right, with mm. some of your with your clients. I know, you know one of the things that you have built a lot of your success on is this idea that you can kind of build value fast as well when looking at brands. And there must be those, probably even now, advocates of the exact opposite way of doing things, saying, no, 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 you can't build real brand fast. It's a slow burn. You've got to consolidate if challenged by that, maybe there's a, a, a diffident CMO who doesn't agree with you initially. How do you persuade them that you can do these things pretty quickly, maybe more quickly than even they realise? Generally not a CMO. It's always the guy writing the checks that's usually the monitor evaluator in the room. And that's always the guy crying his eyes out at the end when we've emotionalised his business card. Yeah, it depends on where the brand is in its life cycle. There are some universal principles around storytelling and around all the pieces I've talked about on purpose, personality and position. However, if you've got a distressed asset, 
that you want to turn around in three years. There's no point in redesigning the logo because the capital estate would require that you spend 30 million quid on changing all the logos. That's no good for a three-year turnaround. What you do then is you do a digital transformation. You pick all the sort of relatively easy cosmetic changes that indicate change and indicate a future direction, and then you do a digital transformation. So the brief is slightly different, but digital transformation is still equally important for a brand that's got a long-term view because what digital enables you to do is generate content that allows you to generate community and from there generate commerce. So there's sort of a, a universal or what we call there's some transversal protocols that work across both short-term, mid-term and long-term turnarounds. And then there are some individual tactical things that you can do to accelerate. The very clever Bob Sheard of Fresh Britain. Do listen out. We'll be hearing more from Bob about the power of brand and the quest for value on the show in the weeks ahead. If Bob's approach resonates or you just want to find out more, do head to freshbritain.com. This programme was mixed and edited by Jack Dewars. My thanks to him as ever. And of course, thanks once more to the whole team at Nobu Group for all their help and their irashamase, and to Bob and the Fresh Britain gang too. You can listen again and find out more about this programme at monocle.com or follow and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform. And for more, yes, more stories of brilliant businesses and excellent entrepreneurs, do be sure to subscribe to Monocle magazine for your monthly fix in print. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening to The Entrepreneurs. <laughs>